Hello, this is Andrew Womack, and on this tape, I'm going to be talking about what is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. This is actually the first tape in a two-tape album entitled The Holy Spirit, and we're going to be talking on this tape, of course, about what the baptism of the Holy Spirit is. In the second tape, we will be dealing specifically with the gift of speaking in tongues. And I'll be talking about uh, establishing that that gift is still valid today and what the function, the purpose of that gift is, and some little-known benefit of speaking in tongues that I think will really be a blessing. This tape, or actually this entire album, is made primarily for people who come forward in my meetings and pray to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And many of the people who come and receive the Holy Spirit like that have really never had any teaching on it, know very little about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. They just know that uh, they like what they see in me or in the people that come to those meetings. We are saying that the baptism of the Holy Spirit is essential for having that type of victory and joy and peace in your life. And so there's many people who pray and ask the Holy Spirit into their life, but actually don't have very much understanding about what the Holy Spirit is. And you must understand what is going on in your life for you to be able to get the full benefit and also to be able to retain it. In Matthew chapter 13, let me show you this passage of Scripture, and this is out of a parable that Jesus taught about the sower sowing the seed, how the Word of God works like a seed in our life. And in Matthew chapter 13, verse 19, it says, When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and understands it not, then comes the wicked one, this is speaking of Satan, and catcheth away that which was sown in his heart. And so it says here that if you don't understand, then Satan has free access to steal away from you what God has done. And if you are one of those who have prayed for the baptism of the Holy Spirit and you've experienced the Holy Spirit coming into your life, you may have even spoken in tongues and or manifested some of the other benefits of having the baptism of the Holy Spirit. If you don't understand what happened, then Satan can come and steal that from you. And so really this is the whole reason for this teaching is so that you can get a full understanding, therefore a full benefit, and defend this baptism of the Holy Spirit and all of the things that it brings into your life against the devil trying to steal it from you. And this is very important. I pray that you open up your heart and that you receive this because the baptism of the Holy Spirit is absolutely essential to having a victorious Christian life. First of all, let me just start with my own personal testimony that I was born again when I was eight years old, and it was a genuine conversion, and it immediately bore fruit. I was born again on a Sunday. I wasn't in church, but I heard a message at church that concerned me. It was talking about hell, and it just became a revelation to me that even though you know, here I was eight years old and I hadn't done all of these terrible things that some people had. Uh, it became very clear that all of sin comes short of the glory of God and that there is a place called hell that people go to if they don't accept Jesus as their Savior. So that concerned me. I went home and asked my father and my father explained to me that, yes, it is true that God is holy and that sin made us unholy and that separated us from God and uh, in the natural realm, justice had to be served, and I deserved to go to hell. 
But he also made it very clear that Jesus came and forgave my sins and suffered for my sins so that I don't have to go to hell. And as an eight-year-old boy, I got born again in my own bedroom by my father praying with me, and immediately there was a peace and a release. And the next day, in the third grade, I was made fun of for being a Christian. I didn't even tell people I was a Christian. But there is a difference. I don't even know exactly what the difference was, but my friends could tell a difference. And they said, what's happened to you? You're different. And I told them that I got born again the day before. And I remember being made fun of the very first day I was a Christian. And uh, so the reason I'm saying this is to say it was a genuine conversion. I have zero doubt that I was born again when I was eight years old. And yet I didn't have any real power in my life. My life was basically no different outwardly, as far as other people could see, uh, than a person who wasn't saved. As a matter of fact, I recently met one of my best friends. I guess he was my very best friend from grade school, and he had gone through some terrible things through a divorce. I believe that there was some either drug or alcohol abuse, and I mean, just really at the end of his rope, and finally he found the Lord, and now he's really excited about the Lord He had seen me on television, and so we got back together and uh, had a great visit, and it was wonderful. But he was saying, when did you get saved? And I told him, well, I got saved when I was eight, the whole time I was uh, friends with him in junior high and high school, that I was born again. And he he was shocked. And it just shows that there really wasn't that much evidence of salvation in my life. Now, again, there was enough evidence that I know I was born again, but there wasn't any real power. My dad died when I was 12 years old, and I prayed for six months for my father to be healed, and nothing happened. My father died when I was 12. Um, If you would have arrested me for being a Christian, there wouldn't have been enough evidence to convict me. It was basically just what I believed, but there was no manifestation, no power or demonstration of God in my life. Now, I didn't go out and do some of the things that other kids did. In that sense, there was a manifestation of it. I wasn't sucked into the same sin and some of the other things that people did, but there was no real demonstration of God's power in my life. Now, in contrast, when I received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, March the 23rd, 1968, I mean instantly, my life transformed. It transformed primarily on the inside. It was just like there was an explosion on the inside of me. My revelation knowledge of God, my understanding of God instantly changed. And it took me years of renewing my mind to get to where I could say it in a way that it would make sense to people. But there was a radical outward transformation in my soulish realm, in my thinking, and then in my actions. I mean, I became fanatical overnight. So much so that my mother thought I'd lost my mind. I got kicked out of a couple of churches. And I may not have done everything exactly perfectly. You know, I've gained a lot in wisdom. But I'm saying that immediately there was a transformation when the baptism of the Holy Spirit happened in my life. And so my personal testimony is that without the baptism of the Holy Spirit, you never would have heard of me. I can guarantee you that that if I would have gone on and continued and maintained my salvation, it certainly would have been nothing but a nominal salvation. It wouldn't have affected anybody else's life. There was no victory, no joy, no power. 
no outward manifestation of God's presence in my life prior to receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And this isn't unique to me. I've read the testimonies of many, many, many people who say the exact same thing. And then you can go to the Word of God and see the exact same thing. Jesus, of course, was God at birth. The angels in Luke chapter 2 cried out, and, you know, they proclaimed Jesus, Lord, at his birth, the, the birth of Christ the Lord. They pronounced him Lord. He was God at birth. And yet there is no record of any manifestation of the power of God through Jesus. There was no preaching. There was no healing. There was no deliverance. There was nothing that typified Jesus' ministry after his baptism with the Holy Spirit. There was none of that manifest before the baptism of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit coming into the life of Jesus was a, I mean, turning point. It was a distinguishing time in his own life. Now, if Jesus, who was sinless, had to be anointed with the Holy Spirit before he began his ministry, how can any of us presume that we can be effective without the Holy Spirit ourselves? Here in Luke chapter 3, this is also recorded in um, Matthew chapter 3, the same instance in two of the Gospels, but in Luke chapter 3, in verse uh, 21, it says, Now when all the people were baptized, it came to pass that Jesus also being baptized and praying, the heaven was open, and the Holy Ghost descended in a bodily shape like a dove upon him, and a voice came from heaven, saying, Thou art my beloved Son, in thee I am well pleased. And so this is where John the Baptist baptized Jesus in water, and when that happened, the Holy Spirit descended upon him in a bodily shape like a dove, and Jesus was anointed with the Holy Spirit. And in chapter 4, Jesus immediately went into the wilderness. He was tempted by the devil, and when he came out of the wilderness, he entered into the synagogue in his hometown of Nazareth, and he said this in Luke 4:18, "The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because He hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord." So Jesus was baptized with the Holy Spirit in Luke chapter three. In Luke chapter four, he said, "The Spirit of the Lord is upon me." When did the Holy Spirit come upon him? Well, it makes it very clear that it was when the Holy Spirit descended upon him in a bodily shape uh, like unto a dove, similar to a dove. And so Jesus was anointed with the Holy Spirit and immediately began his ministry. There are so many references that I'm not going to take time to turn and show them all to you. But if you read through the Gospels, there are so many times that Jesus said he could do nothing of himself. But he depended upon the Father and specifically upon the Holy Spirit to flow through him. Jesus was a part of the Godhead, what we call the Trinity. The fact that Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit are three separate distinct persons and yet they are all one. And because they are one, they are so united, they are so dependent upon each other that Jesus would not, or I guess you could say could not, he did not do any miracles until the Holy Spirit came upon him. 
God does not operate independent of his Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the way that he operates in the world and in us and through us. And so turning your life over and welcoming the Holy Spirit to come into your life is essential. It is absolutely essential for you ever experiencing the victory that God wants you to have. You can also see this in the life of the apostles. And there are so many examples of this, I won't take time to turn to all of them. But if you read through the Gospels, you'll become familiar that the apostles who followed Jesus, they spent three and a half years with him. They were weak men. They uh, operated in strife. They argued about which one of them should be the greatest. I mean, just hours before Jesus was to be crucified, instead of thinking about Jesus and all of the things that he was going through, they were arguing among themselves which one of them was going to be the greatest. They showed carnality. They showed immaturity. They showed fear. Uh, At the crucifixion of Jesus, when Jesus was arrested, they had all said that they would never forsake Jesus, that they would stand and fight even to the death if they needed to. And yet when the time came and the soldiers came to take Jesus away, they all forsook him and fled. There was fear. There was terror in their life. Of course, everyone's familiar with Peter's denial of Jesus. There were three times that people standing around said, you're one of Jesus' disciples. And he denied it and even swore and took oaths to deny that he even knew Jesus. And when he came to himself, he wept bitterly over it. He didn't want to do it, but he was weak. He was powerless. Now, in contrast to that, after the baptism of the Holy Spirit came upon the disciples, and this was approximately 50 days after the resurrection of Jesus, After the Holy Spirit came upon them, they were bold. I mean, they were transformed people, illustrating the fact of how necessary the baptism of the Holy Spirit is. Let me just share with you some of the things that were said about the disciples. And remember that these are the same guys who forsook Jesus and fled. They had no backbone whatsoever. But in the third chapter of the book of Acts, you see where a man at the gate of the temple, who had been lame, was healed, and the disciples preached the gospel, and over 3,000 people uh, got born again, and they were baptized in water. And so it says in the fourth chapter of the book of Acts that the religious leaders were grieved that this happened, and so they took all of the disciples into custody, put them into jail, and it says in Acts chapter 4, And verse 5, that it came to pass on the morrow that their rulers and elders and scribes and Annas the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and as many as were of the kindred of the high priest were gathered together at Jerusalem. And when they had set them in the midst, they asked them, By what power or by what name have you done this? Referring to the man who had been lame and who was healed. And then in verse 8, Acts 4, 8, it says, Then Peter filled... With the Holy Ghost. Notice again the emphasis on the Holy Spirit. Of course, you know, I'm reading out of the King James and the term ghost here is used often, but this isn't referring to a ghost in the sense that any of us, you know, would refer to that where it's some uh, the spirit of a departed of a person who's already dead. This is just an old English term for spirit. Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit and he said unto them, you rulers of the people and elders of Israel, if we this day be examined 
of the good deed done unto the impotent man by what means he is made whole, be it known unto you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead. Now notice Peter's speech here. He's saying, you're asking how this happened. We're telling you it's by the name of Jesus whom you crucified. He is placing blame on them and reproving them for what they did. And it says, by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by him doth this man stand here before you whole. This is the stone which was set at naught of you builders, which is become the head of the corner. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby you must be saved. Not only did he say that they were to blame, but he said you killed the only one in whom there is salvation. In other words, he made it very clear that you as a Jew couldn't just believe that there was the God of Abraham. You had to accept Jesus as the Messiah, and if you don't, you are damned. And so he left them no avenue of retreat. They either had to accept Jesus or they had to come out against him. And it says in verse 13, Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, they marveled and they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. And beholding the man which is healed standing with them, they could say nothing against it. And the story goes on that they just told them not to preach anymore, but they had to let them go. But notice that even the enemies of the early apostles had to just back down because they were amazed at the boldness of these people. And these were the same people who just days before had run in terror. And this same Peter who said these things was the one who had cowed at just a maid. A female maid of the high priest had inferred that he was with Jesus and he cowed before this young girl and wouldn't even stand up to her. Now here he is speaking to all of the religious leaders who had the ability to kill him the same as they had killed Jesus and Peter was fearless in the face of that. How could this be? What kind of transformation could take place to make such a difference? It was the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Look at this passage in Acts chapter 1. This is after Jesus was resurrected from the dead and before he was taken back unto the Father. As a matter of fact, this is the very day that he was caught up into heaven. These are some of his very last-minute instructions to his disciples. And so, if you were leaving, if your work on earth was done, and you were turning your entire kingdom, everything over to this little group of men... You know, the very last words that you speak to them would have to be very important. It's your last chance to give them instruction. What would you tell them to do? Here's what Jesus said in Acts chapter 1, verse 4. And being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which, saith he, ye have heard of me. For John truly baptized with water... But you shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days from hence. When they therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? And he said unto them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father hath put in his own power. But you shall receive power. After that the Holy Ghost is come upon you, And you shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea 
and in Samaria and under the uttermost part of the earth. So here's Jesus telling his disciples not to tell anyone about his resurrection from the dead until they had received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now, you've got to understand that this was the greatest news that had ever happened in the world. Jesus had preached a message, had demonstrated the power of God as no man had ever demonstrated it on the earth before. And because of this, the religious leaders had taken Jesus and had crucified him, had killed him, and buried him. And to the natural mind, it looked like Jesus, even though he might have been a great prophet, was just another man. But instead, he was raised from the dead on the third day exactly the way he had prophesied. It validated everything he had to say. Jesus was resurrected from the dead. He spent 40 days walking on the earth and teaching his disciples after his resurrection. And now he was getting ready to go back to heaven. I mean, this was unbelievably good news. Nearly too good to be true news. If you were in their position, you would be wanting to shout it from the housetops. And yet Jesus told his disciples, don't tell anyone, don't go anywhere, go back to Jerusalem and wait until you receive the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, if that was true of the early disciples with that awesome good news, then I can guarantee you it's true of you. You may have been one of those who were born again in my meeting and you are so excited that your sins are forgiven and you want to tell everyone. But I tell you that you need the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You need to be filled with the Holy Spirit so that it won't be just you testifying, but literally it'll be Christ living through you through the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will give you power, just like Jesus said. He goes on to say in this eighth verse that you shall receive power after the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Notice it's after the Holy Spirit, not before the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You need the power of the Holy Spirit. It is absolutely wonderful to be born again and forgiven of your sins, but as far as your witness goes, you will not be an effective witness if you do not have the fullness of the Holy Spirit on the inside of you. You must have it. And that's exactly what Jesus said, that when the power of the Holy Spirit comes, you will be a witness. The Holy Spirit has come to enable you to take the forgiveness and the awesome things that God has done for you individually and share it with other people. No one should be ministering who is not full of the Holy Spirit. You really shouldn't be doing anything in the name of the Lord unless you have been empowered by the Holy Spirit. And this is precisely the reason that we have so much deadness in the church today is because we have people who no doubt have been forgiven of their sins and probably love God and desire to do something for God, but they are doing it in their own power. And it just doesn't ring true. It just doesn't carry the weight and the power. Matter of fact, Paul said this over in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, I believe it's verse 6. He says that we are ministers not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. We could spend a lot of time talking about that, but basically he's just saying that when you are empowered by the Spirit, when you are speaking under the leadership and the anointing of the Holy Spirit, 
It gives life to the hearers. If you are just speaking through your own knowledge, out of your own ability, even if you're saying the right things, but if it is not empowered by the Holy Spirit, it brings death. And so much of what is happening in the church today are people who are just saying things that they've taught, but it's not quickened. It's not made alive by the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus told his disciples not to share until they received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and it should be exactly the same today. And the fact that it's not that way, that there are so many people proclaiming things in the name of the Lord who have not been baptized with the Holy Spirit and are not under the control of the Holy Spirit. That's one of the reasons for the deadness in the church and in the body of Christ today. Praise God. We need to change that. And I tell you, the baptism of the Holy Spirit will change it. So there's many things in the body of Christ that, you know, divide people into different groups and into different camps. And many of those things we don't need to argue about. There are things that I consider to be non-essentials. You know, there are some groups that really make an issue over whether we should have musical instruments or not. And then even among those who believe in musical instruments in our praise and worship, they argue over whether certain instruments are appropriate and all of these kind of things. To me, that is a incidental. I know that some people don't agree with that and they take offense at what I'm saying, but that is not a pivotal doctrine of the Bible. But the baptism of the Holy Spirit is. Jesus said, don't do anything. Don't witness for me. Don't do anything until you receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And so this is something that really you cannot compromise on. And really the body of Christ is divided over this issue of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I wished I could tell you that it wasn't so, but it is. And basically, this is one of the most divisive doctrines of them all. Now, no one who believes in the Bible can really disbelieve that there is a baptism of the Holy Spirit, because I've already used a number of scriptures on this. You know, I've already talked about uh, how that Jesus was anointed with the Holy Spirit. And then he said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Jesus told his disciples not to go anywhere, but wait until they be endued with power. John the Baptist, who came preaching and prepared the way for Jesus, said that he was baptizing people with water. But there came another who would baptize them with the Holy Ghost and with fire, power in their life. So it was prophesied before the ministry of Jesus. Jesus experienced the baptism of the Holy Spirit himself and told every one of his disciples to wait until they received it. And even after the resurrection of Jesus and the church was established, you find Paul talking about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, administering it all the way through the book of Acts, which is basically a history of the first century church. You find that everywhere in the book of Acts, that when people receive the Lord, they also receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So a person who says they believe in the Bible cannot disagree that there is a baptism of the Holy Spirit. But today there are factions within the body of Christ who disagree and say, well, you get the baptism of the Holy Spirit automatically when you get saved. When you ask Jesus into your heart, it just comes with the Holy Spirit. Well, that is not what Jesus taught. The reason that people say that is because the scripture says that no man can come unto the Lord 
except the Holy Spirit draw him. That's in John chapter 6, verse 44, and that was Jesus speaking. He said, No man can come to me except the Father which has sent me draw him, and I will raise him up at the last day. And if you read all of this in context, the Father drew people to him through the Holy Spirit. And so some people, because they see that the Holy Spirit has to be involved in the process of salvation, they just say that you get the Holy Spirit when you're saved. And you know what? I'm not even going to really make an issue of this because I, I have an opinion on this, but that would take more time than what I have on this tape to teach. But let me just say this. I would not argue with the person who says that you have the Holy Spirit when you get saved. I'm not going to argue about that, but there is a difference between having the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit having you. What I mean is there is a difference in having the Holy Spirit present with you and round about you and then having him in control of your life. For instance, listen to what Jesus said in John chapter 14. This is uh, talking about the Holy Spirit. And he said in verse 16, And I will pray the Father, and he will give you another comforter, that he may be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him. But ye know him, for he dwelleth with you, and shall be in you. Now Jesus here was talking to his disciples, and prior to the resurrection of Jesus, the Holy Spirit could not be received the way that we're talking about. Now he was with the disciples, and he worked through them, that's evident by the fact that they did miracles, they cast out demons, they did all kinds of things, but the Holy Spirit wasn't in them. He was just with them. The people could not receive the fullness of the Holy Spirit until after the resurrection of Jesus, because here's what Jesus said in John chapter 7 and in verse 37. It says, In the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. And he that believeth on me, as the scripture has said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. But this spake he of the Spirit. This is talking about the Holy Spirit, which they that believe on him should receive. For the Holy Ghost was not yet given, because that Jesus was not yet glorified. So here Jesus is talking about the ministry of the Holy Spirit and said when the Holy Spirit comes into you, it's going to be like a river of living water flowing through you, not just a little trickle, not a well that you have to pump it out and force it out, but it'll be like an artesian spring that just flows through you. And he was speaking about the Holy Spirit, and then it says that the Holy Spirit was not yet given because Jesus wasn't yet glorified. This is talking about after his resurrection and being glorified with the same glory that he had with the Father before he came to this earth. And so this makes it very clear that the Holy Spirit could not be received until after the resurrection of Jesus. So in John chapter 14, this is Jesus speaking to his disciples before his crucifixion and resurrection, therefore before his glorification. And he said unto them that the Holy Spirit has been with you and shall be in you, John 14:17. So the Holy Spirit was with them and working with them, they had cast out devils and done these things. But there was a difference when the Holy Spirit came upon them. And you can see that in Acts chapter 2. 
Now remember that in Acts chapter 1, we read where Jesus commanded them to wait until they received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And so they went back to Jerusalem, to the upper room where they had had the last supper with Jesus. And then in chapter 2, Acts chapter 2, it says, And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire, and it sat upon each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them the utterance. And this goes on to say that 3,000 people were born again as a result of this miraculous instance. And so when they received the power of the Holy Spirit, everything changed. So some people say, well, you already have the Holy Spirit. If they want to say that you get the Holy Spirit when you are saved, but then there is a separate experience where the Holy Spirit comes upon you to anoint you and to give you this power. If they want to say that and admit that there is a separate, distinct work of the Holy Spirit in your life called the baptism of the Holy Spirit, then I will not argue with anyone over that. But most of the people, and again, I'm speaking in generalities, but most people who believe that you receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit at salvation, when you first get born again, that you receive everything that there is, most people who believe that do not believe that there is a second experience where you are anointed with power from the Holy Spirit. And likewise, they do not believe in the gift of speaking in tongues or any of the miraculous gifts. As a matter of fact, you can just basically say this. This is a generality again. But most people who preach against a separate experience from salvation that I call and that the Bible calls the baptism of the Holy Spirit, most people who preach against that do not believe that miracles are for today. They do not believe in demons being cast out. They do not believe in a victorious life over sickness, over disease, over poverty, and things like this. Now, they may believe that there is a salvation, and they may be wonderful people. They may love God, and they may teach about having a joy and a peace, but they will not believe in any of the miracles as manifest in the Bible. As a matter of fact, again, this is a generality, but most of the people who preach against the baptism of the Holy Spirit as a separate experience from salvation, they do not believe that miracles are even for us today. They preach that they passed away with the apostles and that God doesn't do those things. And many of them will go as far as to say that a person who preaches miracles and that it's God's will to heal and all of these kind of things is of the devil, that that is a doctrine of the devil. And yet that is exactly what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that miracles are for us today. You cannot read the Bible and disbelieve in miracles. And yet the vast majority of people who are against the baptism of the Holy Spirit as a separate experience from salvation preach that what you see in the Bible happening, if it happens today, it's of the devil. Now something is wrong with that theology. On our second tape, I'm going to establish the validity of speaking in tongues, and I'm going to show you that not only speaking in tongues, but miracles haven't passed away. And I will give you some scriptural references, but 
people today who do not believe in the baptism of the Holy Spirit as a separate experience basically discount all of the power, all of the victory, all of the miraculous things that are promised to us. And, you know, there's a correlation here. The reason I believe that they do that is because they are rejecting the power source for all of those miracles. If you do not accept the Holy Spirit in your life and yield to him, then you aren't going to see miracles and deliverances and healings and things like this because the Holy Spirit is what brings that power into your life. And yet the Bible makes it very clear that there is a separate experience from salvation called the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Let me just give you an example here in Scripture. In John chapter 20, Jesus was resurrected from the dead and he appeared unto his disciples and he said this to them in John chapter 20, verse 21. Then said Jesus to them again, Peace be unto you, as my Father has sent me, even so send I you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said unto them, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. And so right here in John chapter 20, he breathed on them. The word breath in the New Testament, in the Greek language, was the word pneuma, and it literally was translated spirit. Uh, The word spirit means breath. And so when God breathed on them, blew upon them, he was releasing the Holy Spirit. So he gave the Spirit. And it says here, receive ye the Holy Spirit. And yet later in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, he says, you shall receive power. After that, the Holy Spirit is come upon you. Now, he had already told them to receive the Holy Spirit, and yet here he is talking about them receiving a new experience that is called the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And we read about that in Acts chapter 2. And when the Holy Spirit came upon them, they were filled with power. They spoke with tongues. Immediately, 3,000 people were born again. In the third chapter, you see where people were healed. In the fourth chapter, you see them speaking with boldness and on and on. Here again, see, confirms that there is a difference between having the Holy Spirit with you and in you. Having the Holy Spirit uh, involved in your salvation, your born-again experience, and then having the power of the Holy Spirit come upon you. My own personal testimony verifies that there was a difference from when I got saved and when I got baptized in the Holy Spirit. There are literally millions and millions and millions of people who've experienced a separate, distinct work of the Holy Spirit in their life from salvation today. I'm talking about people who are alive today. In the United States, the church is probably more, there are more people in the body of Christ in the United States who deny this separate baptism of the Holy Spirit from salvation. There's more people who deny that than there are people who have it in the United States. Maybe that may be so. And again, I'm just, I'm saying this based on, you know, just my contact with people. I don't have any way to verify that, but it seems like that there is a majority in the body of Christ who do not believe in this baptism of the Holy Spirit as a separate work. But around the rest of the world, it's not so. In most places, like in South America In Africa, those places have experienced the greatest outpourings of the power of God that we have seen in modern day. Matter of fact, I've heard some people say uh, that within just a few years, 
the continent of Africa is going to be the most Christianized continent on the face of the earth. South America is experiencing a tremendous outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And they have churches there that number up in the hundreds of thousands. And nearly every one of these outpourings of the Holy Spirit in Asia, in Africa, in South America, nearly all of those, the vast majority of those, all believe in the baptism of the Holy Spirit and speak in tongues. So the body of Christ worldwide, the part that is really growing and exploding as never before, all of them believe in the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Even in the United States and across Europe, the parts of the body of Christ that are growing and expanding all believe in the baptism of the Holy Spirit. The traditional denominational churches who uh, fight against the baptism of the Holy Spirit actually are the ones that are either stagnant or going backwards. What I'm saying is the people in the body of Christ who are really progressing and are getting the majority of the evangelism done and are making an impact on their world are people who believe in the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So, man, I want to be on the side that's winning. I want to be on the side that's got the power of God, where there's some excitement, where there's some life. And you'll find that among people who believe in the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And so in Scripture, you can see that there is a distinct, separate experience from being born again and being baptized in the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter 8, you find an instance where Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ unto them. That's in Acts chapter 8 and verse 5. And it says in verse 6, The people with one accord gave heed unto those things which Philip spake, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. Now notice that when the gospel was preached in the Bible, there were miracles accompanying it. And again, that's because they submitted to the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit will always bring miracles. The people who do not believe in the baptism of the Holy Spirit today, by and large, do not believe in miracles. There's a correlation here. If you receive the Holy Spirit and yield to him, you are going to experience miracles in your life. If you reject the baptism of the Holy Spirit, you will not experience miracles in your life. But in the New Testament, when Philip preached the gospel unto them, they saw miracles, and because of it, they believed. And it says in verse 8, there was great joy in that city. And there was a certain man there, a sorcerer, who had bewitched the people. That's in verse 9. And uh, in verse uh, 12, it says, when they believed Philip preaching the things concerning the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. And even Simon, this sorcerer, in verse 13, he believed also, and he was baptized. Now it says in verse 14, Now when the apostles which were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent unto them Peter and John, who when they were come down prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Ghost. And then in verse 16 it says, For as yet he was fallen upon none of them, only they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then laid they their hands on them, and they received the Holy Ghost. Now here is a very clear instance where the people in Samaria received the preaching. They were water baptized. They were baptized in water, and yet they hadn't received the Holy Spirit. And so the apostles came down and laid hands on them, and then they received the Holy Spirit, showing a very distinct 
separate experience from salvation. Their sins were forgiven, and yet they hadn't received the Holy Spirit. Now, some people have tried to confuse this and say that you aren't even saved until you get the Holy Spirit. But I believe that these people here in Acts chapter 8 were saved. If they would have died, they would have been ushered into the presence of the Lord, and yet they hadn't received the power of the Holy Spirit. There is a separate experience from salvation where you get anointed with the power of the Holy Spirit. Here's another instance in the Bible, in in the book of Acts chapter 19, and it says in verse 1, it came to pass that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul, having passed through the upper coast, came to Ephesus, and finding certain disciples, he said unto them, Have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? Now, these were disciples. Some people try and get around this by saying, well, they weren't disciples of Jesus. They were disciples of the Pharisees and stuff. Well, let me ask you this. Why would Paul have asked them, have you received the Holy Spirit, if all they were were disciples of the Pharisees and didn't believe in Jesus, didn't believe in his message and all of this? That doesn't make sense. No, they were believers in Jesus, but they believed the Jesus that Apollos had talked about. And it said that in the first verse. It had just mentioned Apollos in the 18th chapter and how that he had been zealously preaching about Jesus, but he left before Jesus was resurrected and spoke about this receiving of the Holy Spirit. So he was out preaching that Jesus was the Messiah, but he wasn't preaching the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And it says in the 18th chapter that uh, Aquila and Priscilla had to explain the way of God unto him more accurately, and he finally received it. But he had already made some converts, and so Paul found some of these, and he knew that they believed on Jesus. They believed that Jesus was the Messiah, but they hadn't received the Holy Spirit. So he asked them, have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? And they said unto him, we have not so much as heard whether there be any Holy Ghost. Man, that's just like a bunch of churches today. You know, when I was raised in church, I got born again at the age of eight, like I told you, but nobody told me that there was an empowering of the Holy Spirit, that I could have the Holy Spirit come and just transform my life and give me power and that miracles would flow. They didn't believe that. They just told us to get saved, and then we'd sing about when we all get to heaven. You just were saved and stuck until time to go to be with the Lord. And this is basically where these people were. They were told that Jesus was the Messiah, but they weren't told that he would send the Holy Spirit and anoint us just like he was anointed so that we could begin to start having power in our life and experience the life of God the way that Jesus experienced it. And so in verse 3, it says that Paul said unto them, Unto what then were ye baptized? And they said, Unto John's baptism. Then said Paul, Verily John baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying unto the people that they should believe on him which should come after him, that is, on Christ Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands upon them, the Holy Ghost came on them, and they spake with tongues and prophesied. So here's another example of people who were believers in Jesus, but they hadn't received the power of the Holy Spirit into their life. And so they had to receive it. There is a separate experience. And when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, just like Jesus said in Acts 1.8, you shall receive power after the Holy Spirit has come upon you. The Holy Spirit comes 
to teach you of Jesus, to magnify Jesus. In John chapter 14, here's some scriptures about what the Holy Spirit will do. I've already read a couple of these. Jesus said that he would send another comforter in verse 16, and he would abide with them forever. And so the Holy Spirit by name here is a comforter. That's one of the things he will do. He will comfort you. It says over in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 that the Holy Spirit comforts us in all of our tribulation so that we can comfort others with the same comfort that we've received. And so that's very, very important. It goes on to say in verse 26, But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance, whatsoever I have spoken unto you. Man, that is a tremendous benefit. The Holy Spirit is going to give you revelation knowledge. I'll talk about that more on our second tape. He goes on to say in John chapter 15, all of these scriptures, John chapter 14 and John chapter 15 and John chapter 16, are all uh, spoken to his disciples the night before his crucifixion. And he's talking about something that wasn't a reality yet, but it would be when Jesus was glorified. And so he said in John 15, 26, But when the Comforter is come, that's talking about the Holy Spirit, whom I will send unto you from the Father, even the Spirit of truth which proceedeth from the Father, he shall testify of me, and you also shall bear witness, because you have been with me from the beginning. So this right here says that the Holy Spirit is sent to testify of Jesus, to give you understanding, to bring all things to your remembrance that he's spoken unto you. Jesus went on to say in John chapter 16, in verse 7, he said, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is expedient for you. The word expedient means to your advantage. It's better for you. He says it's expedient, it's to your advantage, it's better for you that I go away For if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. And when he has come, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Of sin, because they believe not on me. Of righteousness, because I go to my Father and you see me no more. Of judgment, because the Prince of this world is judged. Jesus here said it's actually better for us to have the Holy Spirit within us than it is to have Jesus in his physical body with us. Now that is really hard to wrap our mind around. Most of us would love to have Jesus in his physical body walking with us the way that he did the disciples. And we think, what could be better than that? But Jesus himself said, it's actually to your advantage to have the Holy Spirit within you. Now that is so awesome. I could spend days talking about that, but that's, You know, that's much of the rest of your Christian life is learning how to appreciate and understand all of the benefits of it. Just by faith, take it that the baptism of the Holy Spirit is absolutely essential. You need it. It is not optional. And you'll hear many people tell you that this is crazy. And you will also meet some people who've received the baptism of the Holy Spirit and spoke in tongues and believe that there is a separate experience with the Holy Spirit And they don't have any power in their life. And some of you may think, well, I thought that this power comes upon you. Well, it becomes available to you after the Holy Spirit. But you still have to draw it out by faith. It's not magic. You just don't automatically get transformed into a victorious Christian by receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit. But it is available to you. 
for those who reject the baptism of the Holy Spirit, it's not available. Let me just say some things here to try and clarify that you will probably run across some people who probably disagree with what I'm saying and do not believe in a separate experience, and yet they will use terminology like, well, I believe being filled with the Holy Spirit. And there's a lot of variations. There's so many different people in the body of Christ. There's a lot of different doctrines. And I personally believe that I've run across some people who do not speak in tongues and who do not believe in a separate baptism of the Holy Spirit, and yet they are just wonderful Christians. They love God with all of their heart, and they have some great things, and in some ways are much kinder and gentler and manifest more of the power of God than some people who claim to have the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I've seen that. And I I personally believe that many of them have received a separate experience with the Lord. As a matter of fact, I could name two or three people that I've talked to personally who just kind of perplexed me because they really do exhibit many of the characteristics of a person who's been filled with the Holy Spirit, and yet they claim not to speak in tongues and all of this. But when I talked to them, there was a separate experience. There was a time where they came to the end of themselves, they ran up the white flag, and they called out to God for help and for more and yielded themselves, and they had a miraculous encounter with the Lord. Well, I believe that that could well be the baptism of the Holy Spirit, but they just have rejected the gift of speaking in tongues. They don't believe maybe some of these things, but nonetheless, there was a separate experience with the Lord. I'm not going to mention names, but some theologians from the 18 and the early 1900s preached a separate experience with the Lord, but they did not teach speaking in tongues. In other words, I believe that that was incomplete. They believed that there had to be an endowment of power from God, but they didn't embrace the miracles. Well, that's not the way that God intended it to be. There's no reason to reject part of it, but I believe it could be done. I don't believe you have to speak in tongues. Right now, I'm not speaking in tongues. I'm speaking in English, and yet I do speak in tongues often. You don't have to speak in tongues. You can speak in tongues when you want to, and if a person doesn't want to, I don't believe they have to speak in tongues, but that's totally the wrong attitude. It's not a matter of do I have to speak in tongues. It's a matter of I get to speak in tongues. And on our second tape in this series, I'm going to talk about the benefits of that and make some things very clear. Let me also mention this, that even if you agree that there is a separate experience called the baptism of the Holy Spirit, there are some religious groups in the body of Christ that teach that you have to just travail and seek God and wait on God and that God just gives you this experience whenever he wants to, that you have no control over it. And they kind of take some of this from Acts chapter 1, verse um, 4, where it says, Wait for the promise of the Father, which saith he, ye have heard of me. And so, just like the disciples were told by God to wait, in other words, it wasn't theirs at that moment, they had to wait. Uh, Many people preach that you just have to wait, seek, ask God, and it's just totally up to God when you receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. But the answer to this is, that in Acts chapter 1, verse 4, the Holy Spirit wasn't given yet. It wasn't time. And the Holy Spirit came on the day of Pentecost. There's many things I could say about that. I believe it's a fulfillment of prophecy. The feast of Pentecost was symbolic of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And so it was just 
God's timing to send the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, and so they had to wait until then. But now we are on the other side of the day of Pentecost, and now the Holy Spirit is given, and we don't have to wait. We don't have to tarry for the Holy Spirit. It's already been given, and as soon as you are ready to receive, the Holy Spirit is more desirous to fill you and control you than you are to have him control you. So you don't have to wait on the Holy Spirit. Now, I will say this, that because you don't have to wait on the baptism of the Holy Spirit, there are many people today who just present it as, repeat this prayer after me and you receive. It's even possible that somebody listening to this tape came forward in one of my meetings and somebody who was ministering to you may have just tried to tell you it's so simple you say this and you've automatically got it. And it can be that simple if you're ready to receive. But not everybody is. Sometimes it takes a period of time for a person to really get to a place to where they are ready to receive, to where they are committed to it. And so I think that sometimes people have been led through a prayer and led to believe they have the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and it just doesn't impact them the way it should because they weren't really hungry for it. In my own personal life, because I hadn't been taught about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and when I first heard about it, I thought it was something that you just had to pursue God and wait and wait and wait. Well, because of that, I got really hungry. I got really desperate. I really wanted the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And when I started speaking in tongues, it was not just another thing. I did it and then it was over and I forgot it. No, it was something I had longed for, I had sought for. And because of it, when it happened to me, it was spectacular. And I still appreciate it today. I think that there is benefit to a person really being ready to commit to the Holy Spirit before they receive it. And it's possible that maybe you just prayed a prayer and you weren't ready. And maybe now, after listening to this teaching and hearing about how that you received power and how that it was something that even Jesus had to have, how it transformed the apostles, maybe now you're ready to receive. And you can receive at any time. God wants to fill you, but you do have to reach out and believe that you receive. In Luke chapter 11, it tells you how you receive. This is Luke chapter 11, and in verse 10, he says, Everyone that asketh receiveth, he that seeketh findeth, and to him that knocketh it shall be opened. If any son shall ask bread of you that is a father, will he give him a stone? Of course, the answer to that is no. You wouldn't, if your child came to you and asked you for a piece of bread, you wouldn't give him a rock to chew on. People that love their children don't treat them that way. Well, the father won't do that either. And it says, or if he asks a fish, will he for a fish give him a serpent? No way. If your child asked for a piece of fish, would you hand them a serpent? You wouldn't do that. Verse 12, it says, or if he asks an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? You aren't going to give something bad unto your children. In verse 13, it says, If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him? If you would give good gifts to your children, how much more will our heavenly Father give the good gift of the Holy Spirit unto us? See, God wants you to have it. And notice that it says he will give the Holy Spirit to us. There are some people who teach that you, in a sense, have to earn the Holy Spirit by being holy. 
I was actually told when I was seeking the baptism of the Holy Spirit, I was told that you had to empty yourself of all sin. And they gave me a sheet of paper and told me to write down all of my sins. And I filled out the front and the back of that sheet of paper and asked for another sheet of paper. And I mean, I hadn't done things that a lot of people had done, but I was just listening attitudes, things that were just terrible. I thought I was under this opinion. I even had this illustration used that, you know, you can't fill a dirty vessel. That if you're all full of, if you had a glass that was full of rocks, then it couldn't be full of water at the same time. You have to empty out the rocks before you could fill it with water. And I was given illustrations like that. But see, that's not the way the Holy Spirit is. The Bible says here, he shall give you the gift of the Holy Spirit. You don't have to earn the Holy Spirit. You don't have to get rid of all of the sin in your life and be perfect before you receive the Holy Spirit. If you could get rid of the sin in your life without the power of God's Spirit, then you wouldn't need the Holy Spirit. The very people who have sin in your life and have problems in your life, you are the ones that need to receive the Holy Spirit the most because he will give you power when he comes in and he will set you free from things. You can be delivered from addictions, from bondages, from lust, from desires, from habits. You can be delivered when you receive the power of the Holy Spirit. So don't let anything hold you back. The Holy Spirit is a gift. God wants you to have it more than a parent would want to take care of the needs of his child. And I promise you that it's available. It is a separate, distinct experience from the salvation experience. And when you receive it, it is power being released in your life. You have to be willing to run up a white flag and surrender and say, God, you, I want you. I want the power of the Holy Spirit instead of me in control of my life. And if you will turn your life over and welcome the Holy Spirit in, ask for it. It says he will give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. Simply ask and the Holy Spirit will come. And when the Holy Spirit comes, there will be manifestations of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. One of the initial things that happens will be speaking in tongues. And that's what we'll talk about on our next tape in this set. But I tell you, I praise God for the baptism of the Holy Spirit in my life. I wouldn't be the same person without it. It transformed my life. And I could give you hundreds of personal testimonies of friends, people I know who the baptism of the Holy Spirit just transformed their life. It doesn't produce automatic maturity, but it does make power available to you that you do not have without the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So I pray that you've received it. If you have, I want to encourage you with these things and help you to understand so that you can keep this an important gift that God's given you and function in it and receive full benefit. If somehow you got hold of this tape and you have not received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, God wants you to have it. And if you have been born again, you can receive it. Remember this verse that we read about in John chapter 14 where Jesus said, that the world could not receive the Holy Spirit because it couldn't see him. That's John fourteen seventeen. So what this means is you have to be born again first. If you haven't been born again, you must be born again. And then once you are born again, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is yours. It's a separate, distinct experience. Now, it doesn't have to be separated by years or decades. It could be separated by only moments. 
But nonetheless, it is a separate experience from getting your sins forgiven. It's where you receive the power of the Holy Spirit to now live a victorious Christian life. And God wants you to have it more than you want to have it. I pray that every person listening to this tape will receive the Holy Spirit, or if you've already received it, will understand and begin to cooperate with the Holy Spirit so that you can receive the full benefit of the baptism of the Holy Spirit.